The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. After the headlines, I have two incredible guests today. Uh, First, I interview the Honorable Congresswoman Katie Porter. I don't think she needs an introduction. Next, I will be chatting with uh, Daniel Stover, who is the founder of Insight Partners. Before I go into headlines, I want to share with you a special honor. I am a finalist in three categories for the Los Angeles Press Club's National Arts and Entertainment Journalism Awards. Uh, I've been a finalist before, and what's different this time is from the three categories, one of them is for uh, the Blunt Post with Vic. I am a finalist for uh, radio host slash uh, anchor for the show, and uh, that's that's an incredible honor. I'm very humbled, and uh, I share that with my producer, Ricky Herrera who uh, is an incredible person to work with. I'm very pleased, you know. Whether we win or not, it's, uh, it's unimportant. Uh, I'm just very humbled that that's, that's the first time that the show itself has become a finalist for the LA Press Club uh, Awards. The other two categories, if, in case you're wondering, is for independent publication, uh, which is The Blunt Post, theblundpost.com, and uh, also a specific commentary editorial that I wrote is the third category for which I am a finalist for. So thank you, LA Press Club. Thank you, Ricky and Aniel, our station manager. Uh, he's part of this big team that makes everything happen. Uh, so I just wanted to share that with you. Now for some headlines. Just over a year since the first known U.S. COVID-19 death, more than 500,000 people would have died from the disease by the end of this week. More than 497,600 people have died from COVID-19 in the U.S., according to Johns Hopkins University. And another 91,000 Americans are projected to die from the disease by June 1st, according to the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. Several new concerning variants of coronavirus have been found in the U.S., including the highly contagious B117 strain first detected in the UK. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has projected a rapid growth of B117 strain across the US, saying it will likely become the predominant variant in the country by March. So far, more than 42.8 million Americans have received at least the first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, according to CDC data. More than 17.8 million people have been fully vaccinated. That's about 5.5% of the U.S. population. President Joe Biden declared a major disaster for much of Texas as state reels from a severe winter storm that left millions of people without power amid freezing temperatures. After a week of rigid weather and catastrophe unfolded in Texas, at least 26 people died across the state since February 11th. Millions lost their power, forcing families to huddle over a fireplace, uh, scavenge for firewood, or spend nights in their car trying to stay warm. Others spent hours searching for food as shelves emptied and weather conditions led to food supply chain problems. The frigid temperatures caused pipes to burst, leading to water disruptions for roughly half the state's population. For some Texans, rolling blackouts began this morning after the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, a grid operator controlling about 90% of the state's electric load, announced it is experiencing a record-breaking electric demand. California's new system of delivering, tracking, and scheduling coronavirus vaccines is being rolled out in select counties, a first step in Governor Gavin Newsom's plan to smooth out what has been a confusing and disjointed rollout, hampered by limited national supply. An initial list provided by the state showed 10 counties in the inland sections of Central and Southern California chosen to be the first to make the transition to the Blue Shield system this week. Starting March 3rd, another group that includes Los Angeles, which has 10 million of California's nearly 40 million residents, will be added. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. 
For today's Let's Get Blunt, I'm going to talk about not just the person, but the reaction or lack thereof to this person by the international community and why it's outrageous. I am talking about the Turkish president Erdogan, I should call him Turkish dictator Erdogan, who is by far one of the most dangerous people alive. What is not surprising, but what is really disappointing is that the same leaders who get up on a stage behind a podium in the spotlight and talk about human rights and international community and partnership and peace and this and that have selective outrage over which demagogue uh, leaders, so-called leaders, uh, they, they talk about or do anything about, depending on what they're getting out of them, their own uh, pocketbook and special needs and etc. So you have Erdogan who has committed countless crimes against humanity, human rights violations, uh, and so on and so forth. Just a few years, um, let, we can just scratch the surface of in the last like five or six years, and it's, it's overwhelming, including what um, the former prosecutor and UN investigator Carla Ponte called that he should be investigated, indicted for war crimes over his country's military offensive in Syria, which still continues. You know, a lot of people don't read or go beneath the surface to look at what really happened in Syria and continues to happen. And a lot of it had to do with Turkey uh, meddling in and using his mercenary army. And that's another point. What Erdogan has done is amassed this mercenary army of ISIS, uh, also mercenaries from Syria, Libya, and Pakistan that he house, the houses in Turkey, and he uses against um, his neighbors and uh, Europe to intimidate and to um, basically carry out his offensive. And so leaders, European and otherwise, sort of, you know, depending on what benefits them, they choose to just turn a blind eye. Another case that some people may have not heard about is about the Hall Bank matter. Hall Bank is a, is a state-owned Turkish bank, which was suspected of violating U.S. sanctions law by funneling billions of dollars of golden cash to Iran. And uh, how Erdogan lobbied first the Obama administration in 2016 actually, uh, according to an aide, pulling over then-Vice President Biden and asking him to remove the judge presiding over the case. And then later, of course, when President Trump was elected, it became a lot easier because he and President Trump had a very warm and cozy relationship. Trump uh, has two towers in Istanbul. Just between 2015 and 2018, Trump has received 2.6 million net profit from those two towers in Istanbul. So Trump definitely was not going to get in the way of Erdogan trying to stop this investigation. There are countless articles and uh, great reporting on this. If you are interested, you can sort of Google it. This is just one outrageous thing that uh, he's been able to pull and uh, get away with it. You know, Turkey has more journalists jailed, most of them for absolutely no reason, than any other country. Now think about that. <laughs> Again, Turkey has the most number of journalists, local or their own journalists and also international journalists than any other country. And yet they pretend to be a democracy. Just a couple of weeks ago, Erdogan during a speech denied the existence of LGBTQ. He literally doesn't believe that there is LGBTQ community and he called them terrorists. Um, this is the person we are talking about who is the leader of Turkey and 80 million people. This is another, according to another uh, really great report that I read, the number of people investigated for insulting President Erdogan in 2019 was 36,066 who are facing criminal investigation. This is according to Bergen Daily. Uh, I believe that's a local newspaper, 36,066 people, okay, Turkish citizens are being investigated, criminal investigation for insulting Erdogan. 
So if you just say something negative on Facebook, which, you know, we Americans, we do that because we know that we have that freedom. Uh, I guess in Turkey, you can be criminally investigated. So it's just baffling. Of course, the countries that he's been terrorizing, it's not just Syria. It's Libya. He's still meddling there. It's Iraq and northern Iraq, Kurdistan. Erdogan does not like the fact that the Kurdish people are the largest minority in Turkey who have been prosecuted and slaughtered for decades. Turkey, with his PR machine and lobbyists, uh, tried to convince the world that uh, the Kurdish people are terrorists and criminals and this and that, which is absurd. And of course, um, Turkey's their proxy war that they uh, started vis-a-vis Azerbaijan to attack Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, on September 27th of last year, and slaughtering over 4,000 people. Most of this so-called war, which was a genocidal attack, an ethnic cleansing that was orchestrated, was with Turkish intelligence, Turkish military power, and their equipment and financing, and also with the mercenary army that Erdogan has. Uh, A lot of the the killing, including beheading of people who are alive, was done by these ISIS and Pakistani and Syrian and Libyan mercenaries, and on and on and on. So what is the Council of Europe doing, or the European Union? Now, the Council of Europe is an international organization founded in the wake of World War II to uphold human rights, democracy, and the rule of law in Europe. So why aren't they doing anything? Well, could it be that uh, the the reports are true, that um, both Turkey and Azerbaijan have been bribing some of the members of Council of Europe? Now, Azerbaijan is supposedly a country founded in 1918, but it's basically a state of Turkey. One country, two states. And uh, what Erdogan tells Aliyev, the president of Azerbaijan, the other dictator goes. And yet, European Union, Council of Europe, UN Human Rights, UN itself, uh, OSCE, and on and on and on, just turn a blind eye, uh, as if, you know, nothing is happening. It's just uh, incredible. So why? One of the reasons is also that there's this trans-Caspian oil transport system, the pipeline, basically, that brings uh, oil from the Caspian Sea all the way to Europe, and it crosses through Turkey. And it's, uh, you know, this, um, this large project that uh, benefits, of course, Azerbaijan and Turkey, but also Europeans. So no one wants to offend Turkey or Azerbaijan, so they just sort of keep quiet and say the elephant isn't in the room. You know, that's one of the things. Turkey is also a very a large market for a lot of countries with a population of 80 million. So a lot of nations want to do business with them. So, hey, screw the journalists in jail, the people that are massacred and killed in the countries they invade. We want to sell our clothing there. We want to sell our um, cereal there. So there you have it. You know, what I said is just the surface of, of what the reality is that what Erdogan uh, continues to do and the world continues to turn a blind eye and call it diplomacy. That's the reality. The politicians can say whatever they want, uh, that this is about balancing act or you know being diplomatic in politics. It's criminal. He's a criminal, and he is a mass murderer, and he should be talked about like that. So I'm blunt about it. Let's get blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. I have two incredible guests today. Uh, First, I interview the Honorable Congresswoman Katie Porter. I don't think she needs an introduction. Next, I will be chatting with uh, Daniel Stover, who is the founder of Insight Partners. Congresswoman Katie Porter represents California's 45th congressional district in Orange County. Before being elected to Congress, Congresswoman Porter spent nearly two decades taking on special interests that dominate American politics and drown out the voices of working families. As California's independent watchdog against the banks, she made sure the big banks that had cheated Orange County homeowners followed through on their promise to help affected families get back on their feet. 
As a consumer finance expert, Congresswoman Porter also helped Congress pass the original Credit Card Act in 2009, which enacted federal protections from abusive credit card fees. Congresswoman Porter was recently named the chair of the Committee on Natural Resources, Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations, as well as member of the Oversight and Reform Committee. Good morning, Congresswoman Porter. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. How are you? I'm just fine. I'm excited to talk with you. Well, me too. And many, many, many people, trust me. (laughs) Before I was going to go right into some specific questions, but, you know, I just have to ask you this and modestly aside, I I know you're modest, but why do you think you have such a rock star popularity? There's a real hunger, I think, among Americans to want to believe in government and in the people in government. So when you're in a hearing and you're actually asking a question and you're trying to get an answer, when you're actually doing the work of showing up and listening to your constituents, when you actually take on the fights you promised to take on, I think people would like to see that from their government officials. And I think that's true kind of across the ideological spectrum. Absolutely. It, it makes total sense. I mean, obviously, I kind of know the answer or knew the answer, but I just wanted your perspective because... You know, when I, this is the second time I've announced that you're going to be my guest and people just go bananas. (laughs) They just love you so much. And I was, um, I was reading your interview in Vanity Fair, uh, which was a great perspective too. So I wanted to ask you, and you know, I know that probably, you're probably blushing there, but um, I, I needed to know that from you because people really like to see their elected officials really just going all the way and you're doing 150 percent and uh, americans are very receptive to that as you said i think the other thing Vic, is that you know so many of us are just trying to you know get gas in the car put food on the table check up on our parents raise our kids you know earn a living that people want to know what's going on in government, but they don't have seven hours to watch cable news and decode a bunch of nonsense, mumbo jumbo, acronyms, and frankly, sometimes straight out BS. And so <laughs> when you can tell people, you know, this is why this matters, yeah, right? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the facts. I think people really respond to that because they would like to be engaged. They know that in a democracy that they need to be engaged. But it's really about giving people information. It's about teaching. And so that's what I did before I came to Congress. I was a professor. And I I really think about my job is to learn, whether it's from witnesses, from briefings, um, whether it's from listening to constituents, from issue advocates. It's to learn. And then it's to share that knowledge back with the American people. Absolutely. And there's a lot of substance um, to that, too. And Orange County Register, which is more of a conservative publication, you know, very not surprising, but it's impressive that they called you the most legislatively productive representative, which I think is a great honor. So people are following you not not only because you have this dynamic, charismatic way of uh, connecting with the American people and getting things done and asking the questions and have a you have a sort of a no nonsense, blunt attitude per se but also because you do actually get the work done too with legislation and letters and, and uh, you know, you've been, uh, apparently you've been more productive than, than most. One of the things that we focus on is understanding that the job is not just about legislation. Congress people are supposed to pass laws. They are supposed to make policy. But we also have, as I mentioned, this job of listening, this job of educating our constituents and a role that I particularly love this role of conducting oversight of government. If we pass a program, the question then is, does that program work? Are though, if we pass funding for something, is that funding making a difference like we wanted it to? And that oversight role, I think, is something that, again, we are trying to reach across a lot of kinds of different people with different perspectives, very polarized political environment right now. Everybody should be in favor of making sure that laws and taxpayer dollars do what they're intended to do. Absolutely. Well said. Which brings me to the next point, and it's sort of interesting that, interesting in, in a sad way that we still 
to this day have to fight for uh, families and kids and seniors. But you have an act, which is the Family Savings for Kids and Seniors Act, which, um, you know, you're working toward. And, you know, it's something that's going to make child care uh, and elder care more affordable. I'm just wondering where you're at with that and some of the highlights. Yeah, I'm a mom of three children um, and a single parent. And, you know, my oldest is now 15, but I have a lot of years of, of trying to find and pay for childcare. And I used to wonder, I was lucky that my employer offered what people commonly refer to as flexible spending accounts or a dependent care account that lets you set aside um, up to $5,000 pre-tax. And I was fortunate to be able to set aside that $5,000. But I would always wonder, who in Washington, D.C., thinks that the cost of child care is $5,000. And it doesn't matter if you have two kids or three kids, the number doesn't go up. So when I finally got to Congress and I, I talked with some of the first ideas that I brought to my legislative team, um, I got my answer to who thought that was enough. Ronald Reagan, because that five, this is a program that was developed under President Reagan and that $5,000 has not been adjusted for inflation since 1986. Wow. So what my bill, the Family Savings for Kids and Seniors Act, would do is it would bring that amount up. Um, it would more than double that amount to over $11,000 that you could set aside tax-free to pay for kid care or senior care, and it would index it to inflation going forward. Wow. Yeah. And it's common sense, which is why I have a terrific Republican colleague on this bill. It's been bipartisan since I introduced it last Congress, um, Jamie Herrera Butler from Washington State, who's also a mom of three. Right. That's, um, I didn't know that part, that it's back from the 80s, that amount. And of course, uh, Ronald Reagan, I'm not surprised there. You've also done a lot of work with, with COVID-19, trying to get aid for for Americans and your district and such. And you're also trying to uh, remove a single parent penalty from the COVID relief bill. One of the really exciting things that we're doing is really recognizing that the pandemic fell unequally on people with different kinds of families, different kinds of jobs, different kinds of health problems, different kinds of housing. Big part of this is that people who are parenting this has been a very difficult period. Increased costs of childcare, childcare centers closing down, um, you know, daycare programs, after-school programs shuttering, and then parents having to continue to work from home while taking care of their kids. And so Congress has a you know, bipartisan initiative, strong support across the ideological spectrum to give people who are raising kids more help by expanding the child tax credit. And so the amount would go up. It would be $3,000 for a young child, $3,600 for an older child. And this would help people pay for childcare. The problem is the way the bill's been designed, the way the proposal stands right now, single parents will receive less of that child tax credit and be less likely to receive any money at all for no reason other than the fact that they're not married. So I call this the single parent penalty. And it makes no sense. There is no discount when you go to purchase food for a hungry teenage boy or child care for a baby daughter because you're a single parent. This is a child tax credit. Every child, regardless of the fam their parents' marriage status or family status, ought to be able to receive the money. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Congresswoman Katie Porter makes so much sense and, and makes me think what was happening before you <laughs> i mean well I, you know, it was interesting i talked to the staff about this um on the on the committees that, that work on these tax issues and they explained that historically um the treatment for single parents has actually been even less favorable than it is in this proposal um but i'm not backing down this doesn't make sense. The point of this money is to give help in meeting the expenses of kids. And we ought to design the program to do exactly that. Yeah. And so many people are thankful for that. Uh, you spoke about oversight earlier, and you were just recently named the chair of the Committee on Natural Resources Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations. For, uh, for those who don't know what, what this committee does, can you explain, please? 
Absolutely. So natural resources generally is in charge of thinking about public lands and national parks, uh, water, wildlife, oceans, um, uh, energies and mineral energy and minerals that are in our ground, um, indigenous people. So it's got a broad jurisdiction. A lot of it is over um, oversight authority over the Department of Interior. Um, And so part of this is really about making sure that these public lands are benefiting the public. So if we are going to allow drilling on these lands, one, we have to make sure the public will be helped and not harmed, that the drilling isn't going to create a major environmental problem. But we also have to get a fair price when we sell those leases, not a giveaway to big oil. We have to make sure that that money is being reinvested in conservation and in clean energy. You know, our national parks are a wonderful, wonderful treasure, but it is increasingly expensive to go visit them and and people can't all enjoy those national treasures. So this is an opportunity to hold big oil and polluters accountable um, and an opportunity to make sure that the American people are benefiting from our amazing natural resources. Yeah, absolutely. It makes total sense. I already sort of had all my questions for today and then I was scrolling through social media today and I saw there was an outreach to multiple members of Congress, including you, uh, about something that didn't really happen with the previous uh, administration and uh, the President Biden's administration is being encouraged to do something about the war that ended in Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, and to get uh, President Biden and Secretary uh, Blinken to do some sort of intervention or sanctions against Turkey and Azerbaijan for what they carried out. I'm just wondering what your feelings are about that. Yeah, I have a um, you know a, a, a really important sense here that it's important that we're leaders um, in human rights. The situation in um, in Turkey and in some of those territories, the historical and ongoing ethnic conflicts are really problematic. I think the most important thing is that under President Biden, we're going to have a strong and thoughtful strategy to be able to invest in diplomacy um, and to invest in tools to help address some of these problems. For too long. Um, you know, the Trump administration would actually create some of these problems um, and stir some of these things up. So I think we need to be talking about sanctions on Turkey um, if, if they're going to continue to engage in these kinds of abuses. Wow. See, that's the kind of leadership that I think people are starved for, especially after four years of uh, President Trump, of decided, you know, decisive and firm leadership of just getting our reputation back in the international community which I think um, the Biden administration has done a really good job so far. I wonder what you think about that, their first 100 days, which they're still in. No, the wonderful thing about the Biden administration is that they're welcoming Americans, um, everyone from everyday folks um, to people who are elected officials like me into the process. That means sometimes we're going to cheer them on. Um, I'm really excited about President Biden's recognition that child care and that caregiving workforce are part of infrastructure. They're part of how our um, workforce is going to be globally competitive. It's also our job, and I think President Biden welcomes this, to tell his we want you to go a different direction. We want you to do more. We want to push you forward on on issues like climate, for example. So the important thing, I think, is that we have a president who's willing and actually wants to have a dialogue. He's willing to learn. He's honest. His staff are thoughtful and, and qualified for the jobs that they're doing. And that makes the real debate about what is the best way forward possible. Absolutely. From your vantage point, what are we what are we missing? What am I missing and not talking about or asking you today? What's important? Well, I think one I... of the one of the things that we should be focusing on is what's next in terms of helping people with housing. What I hear right now is a lot of focus on getting schools open and on what this pandemic has meant for parents, for women in the workforce. That's wonderful. I started worrying about schools being closed the day my kids' schools closed. I've been worried about it for almost a year now. So I'm glad that that policymakers are catching up and are starting to talk about this. But we have a real crisis coming with regard to housing. We've had moratoriums to prevent evictions um, and to prevent foreclosures. 
but that that rent, those mortgage payments, they're still owed. So we need to be thinking about what is the end game as we get out of this pandemic and people are and employment bounces back and people can pay their rent. What about all that back rent? What about those missed mortgage payments? And that's an area where I feel like I can add a lot to the conversation mm-hmm. because of my work here in California on the ground with now Vice President, then Attorney General Kamala Harris fighting to make sure that families had a fair opportunity to save their homes. If they had the ability to do so, they should have that chance. And so I think that's an area where looking ahead, um, we really need to be starting to have conversations and starting to think about what are going to be the right kinds of of help to give people. Indeed. Uh, Congresswoman Porter, anything else you'd like to add, maybe perhaps a call to action or just speak directly to your district constituents? Um, no, just that we're really excited about continuing to advocate for the getting rid of the single parent penalty. We're using that hashtag, um, single parent penalty, on social media to to really educate people about you know how we can make sure this child tax credit helps every child. Fantastic, Congresswoman Reporter, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, continue to uh, watch you and be inspired. Thank you. I look forward to it. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Congresswoman Katie Porter, who is just so beloved and respected that she has a rock star status, and for good reason. Uh, This was my second time interviewing her, so I'm very grateful. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic uh, today, Congresswoman. The Blunt Post with Vic. A renowned executive coach, Daniel Stover, is also the founder and CEO of Insight Partners, a leading organizational firm based in Southern California. The company specializes in executive consulting, organizational consulting, team development, and leadership training. Daniel Stover has two degrees from the Ohio State University and his master's degree in organizational psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Insight Partners specializes in equipping leaders with insights that create efficiency, self-discovery, leadership effectiveness, and team cohesion. They leverage evidence-based practices of cognitive behavioral psychology, mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and transformational leadership to create meaningful change for managers and leaders. Good morning, Daniel. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. How are you? I'm doing so well, Vic. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Uh, It's a pleasure. I've been wanting to talk to someone of your expertise about just from perspective of uh, where the businesses are large, medium and small for a while. And you have not only you have a wealth of expertise and knowledge, but also you're in it, you are working it. So I want to sort of pick your brain, if you will, and get some insight and news for listeners. Your company is called Insight Partners, you're a consulting firm. And uh, because I don't want to get anything wrong, I'm going to let you um, say what you do and what uh, Insight Partner does. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the, the great lead in. Insight Partners is a leadership development firm that specializes in business psychology, emotional intelligence, and mindfulness in leadership. And not only are those the soft skills or people skills, or some would call them essential skills for leadership, but all of it is meant to um, improve the overall efficiency, effectiveness, and ultimately the profitability of the businesses that we get to serve. Um, So we do that through individual executive coaching, um, team consultation, and facilitated meetings across organizations, and then different kinds of training. Uh, It it just seems like you go deeper than your standard business consulting firm. You're kind of more comprehensive and integrated. Yeah, uh, integrate is a good word for it. Um, we do get that feedback often from our clients that, that this is a bit of a deeper process than they have been through before. And uh, what's underneath of that is our core philosophy. One of our core philosophies being that um, organizational change happens from the transformation of each individual in leadership. And we all have different kinds of journeys and different kinds of things that transformation means to us and how we could grow and do better and grow and be better for our employees and our stakeholders. So given that we have such an individualized approach to organizational transformation, we have to go deep. Uh, makes sense. <laughs> Just makes total sense for a company to to have someone like you on their team. 
I want to go back a little bit and ask you about 2020. You know, we've heard and read and all of that about uh, how COVID-19 affected businesses from, you know, large Fortune 500 industries, um, such as, you know, airline industry and uh, hospitality, et cetera, to medium and also to small restaurants, et cetera. But from, from your vantage point, how do you reflect back on 2020 and the effect of COVID-19 on it? That's such a good question. And, and it's good that you named like a couple of industries because answering that question has such a broad range of answers depending on how your particular industry that you're in or the industries that you serve were disrupted. Um, and as we saw, there were some businesses and industries that did incredibly well uh, during the pandemic because they were staged. So the one that's obviously like, uh, it's obvious to all of us is like what Zoom didn't know that the kind of 2020 that they right. would have, where they would become a household name uh, in terms of running meetings and conferences and connecting with friends and happy hours and stuff. And then just as you said, like the airline industry um, is still struggling to maintain uh, while everybody is being uh, conscious and precautious about travel um, to reduce the spread of the coronavirus. So uh, industry, uh, from an industry sense, uh, there's an answer for everybody in, in terms of how it went. But I, I think for the sake of this conversation, what I'd like to focus on is, is what it did to people. Uh, yeah. Because I've worked with businesses that have struggled through the pandemic. I've worked with businesses that banded together in a miraculous way um, to pivot and focus on being innovative to make it through and have done really well and then work with some businesses who have thrived um, in the pandemic and, and seen uh, unexpected gains in growth. That's what I so, want to hear about. I'm sorry to cut you yeah, off. Go ahead and finish okay. your no, thought. Please. I really want to know about uh, some of your clients and how, how they adjusted and did well and how you helped them to do that. Yeah, the, the ones that did really well um, did a couple of things immediately that ended up gelling the team in a way that they may not have without the disruption and chaos of the pandemic itself. Hmm. So first, the leaders of these organizations started having daily check-ins with their management team. And what they found was that any good ideas that weren't being said previously, any miscommunications or gaps in communication that currently existed across managers or leaders in the organization, mm -hmm. and any suspicions about what anybody was or was not doing in their job were eliminated within a matter of weeks. So what they found in these daily check-ins, some lasting 15 minutes, some lasting like an hour, hour and a half, was that all of their communication issues were getting solved in real time, just trying to figure out what are we gonna do next? And I was watching these moments between leaders uh, uh, that led different parts of an organization. And one stood out to me, uh, a gentleman told a colleague, um, I, I honestly, and forgive me for saying this, had no idea what your job was for years oh, until now. Wow. And, and he, he respected her a lot more for it. And it was just simply because they were talking about it. So it was kind of like realizing a pretty big gap in perception and communication in hindsight. The second thing uh, leaders did uh, that was profoundly good and led to a lot of innovation and growth um, was they oriented their communication to their employees in a very empathic and compassionate way. Um, and they started to understand like the necessary differences between having empathy and compassion in their leadership style uh, to get things done. Hmm. I like both of those, and both of them. What I see the umbrella, the umbrella thing that happened is is when crisis happens. Sometimes we show the best of who, who we are in our work, and we step up to the plate. Because in your first example, you talked about. Um, you know, people were coming up with their ideas or at least voicing their ideas that that always had. But it sounds like when COVID-19 happened, they were, it's like everyone was trying to come as a team 
and help to survive. And the second one was COVID has affected everyone. And, you know, empathy is definitely something that we've all had to develop more um, to get through it. So um, you can see that totally. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with the renowned executive coach and the founder of Insight Partners, Daniel Stover. Where, where do you think we are in terms of transition? Are we transitioning yet uh, for the businesses or are we still in the thick of it? Good question. I think it's a little mix of both. So I, I think we're in the cognitive brainstorming part of the transition, meaning that uh, all of my clients are talking through how to exist and function in a hybrid work environment in the future. So they're all planning for the demand of, of being able to work from home some part of the time. And they're finding difficulty making sure there's the right amount of equity um, within an organization because some people are more able to work from home, whether they desire to more or not, than others. So there's all of this conversation right now uh, about equity and balance and um, what's what's the right amount of working for home for our office and how do we make sure people are staying connected given like how well people were communicating uh, because of the pandemic. From a practical standpoint, you know, you, I, or anybody could really guess, you know, are we out of the thick of it yet in, in terms of how vaccinations are going? So I, I, I kind of rely on the best available numbers to understand how close we are or are not into being in person again. But then from a, a business climate standpoint, um, and culture standpoint, we are right in the thick of the mental and emotional health concern part of this pandemic. So um, the APA just came out with a report, as they do every year, called Stress in America. And a word we're all too familiar with and sick of hearing is unprecedented. But of course, unsurprisingly, their annual report showed that stress in the American workforce is at an unprecedented high for all of the reasons we've all experienced in being isolated, um, working from home and trying to manage our our spouse working from home and children going to school online and just the inability to see family in, in some instances. So where I think we're the most in the thick of things is understanding how to deal with that part. We are often ill-equipped to really engage with people on that mental and emotional level when all of us are suffering to some degree and some people are really suffering and and need some help, some compassion, um, and some tools uh, to navigate whatever the next phase of this really is. Yeah, makes total sense, especially the stress part. So, my show is called Let's Get Blunt, so I try to stay direct and, and blunt and transparent. So I want to ask you this. You've done really well. Insight Partners has done really well through the last year. Just from my perspective, I would think that you know consulting firms and hiring consultants would be sort of like the first things that companies would want to cut when you know numbers are not adding up. But then again, the other part of me says... It should be the first thing to keep because um, without it, you know, you're going to go down even more. So how have you and Insight Partners done so well? Because you just acquired another consulting company, uh, Leon Consulting Group. So I'm interested to see how you've sort of managed through this last year and you're thriving. Thanks for that, Vic. I I think the real blunt competitive advantage um, is how much we care. I mean, we care so much about our communities. We care so much about our team at Insight Partners, and we care immensely about our clients. And I think an invaluable currency in this world is deeply caring about other people, the financial arrangements and the business transactions that are a necessity um, in doing business in America and doing business internationally. 
Um, so, you know, if we had a secret sauce, that's it. It's the way we go about showing people, uh, how much we care, both our staff of coaches and consultants and, uh, our clients and community, how we have been retained. Uh, you know, I, I rely on the, the good feedback from our clients about that. And I've certainly had some of those conversations, um, when we have time for them, meaning just, you know, we're really focused on their goals almost a hundred percent of the time. But what I've gotten back was that, uh, because of the foundational work we've done around the importance and profitability of attending to the emotional climate and the culture, they realized this is the prime time to keep or ramp up the work that we're doing. So I'm, I'm pleased to say, you know, selfishly, um, and for the betterment that we're trying to create in business cultures, my team and I are the busiest we've ever been in our careers. And I think, wow. you know, personally, what a great thing, you know, for myself and my team. But at the same time, what a uh, marker of hope for the direction the business culture is going. Uh, because right. we do work with a couple international clients too, and, and they count in this. And the fact that they're setting the bar for this emotional precedent and being one of the most important um, consultations they receive uh, makes me really happy about how a psychological shift is happening in just understanding what good leadership means. Wow, that's really good to hear. There is hope. Uh, 2021 will you know, we'll see the resurgence of some industries that have been hit very hard. And, um, you know, it's good to hear your successes. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with the renowned executive coach and the founder of Insight Partners, Daniel Stover. So just for listeners right now, I don't know if you're prepared to do this because it's a tough question, but give us like three bullet points of things that businesses can do that are really having a hard time right now. Let's just focus on medium and small. Medium, small businesses. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm happy to kind of speak off the cuff uh, on this. Um, struggling could mean one of two things. One could be financially and like a, a shrinkage in ability to capture market share yeah. or struggling could be more organizational and cultural, right? Yeah. Um, the first. So, one. yeah, the first one, it's really important uh, to ask for help. And what I'm what I'm seeing is a lot of small and medium business um, owners uh, feel sheepish or uh, are afraid of looking ignorant or incompetent by asking for help. And that can look two ways uh, that can look like paid help. Um, and that could also look like going through your Rolodex for subject matter experts or contacts you've made over the years in, in saying, hey, I have, a, I have a particular set of problems that boil down to the bottom line of my business and I would love some consult. And, you know, what some folks have done is scheduled 4 to 6 p.m. every single day to fill in those two hours of time slots with as many people in their network, um, in their Rolodex, in their LinkedIn community, to just get some counsel and advice. And another uh, marker of hope, I think, for 2021 is how many professionals who, who charge for their expertise are willing to give some counsel and some advice in a time like this. So if you're acutely aware of exactly the kind of help you need there are people out there that are offering, you know, some happy hour, virtual happy hour time or offering some pro bono services to help you meet your strategic needs. I agree with that. There are a lot of people out there. Uh, you just have to ask for it that are willing to help, that are willing to do pro bono or even trade, you know, trading um, services or goods. There are a lot of uh, people who are willing to do that. You just have to search for them. Exactly. And then the, the, on the second kind of aspect of struggling, which, of course, these can go hand in hand with each other, if the climate of your organization doesn't feel great right now, um, 
again, the most invaluable currency is how much you care. So uh, how you go about being curious in understanding the needs of your people and their particular situations that are relevant to how they're navigating the, the pandemic or splitting their time between the office and home or working at home, just, just caring through a lot of good questions about how they're getting by and what they need right now. Um, and the, having transparent communication about, you know, what needs we can help you meet and what ones we can't um, give you an idea of where you can support your people uh, versus, you know, where you can simply have just empathy for them and understand them better. And I would say from my experience of the direct reports, um, the employees and staff of the people that I work most intimately with, they are just looking for that empathy and understanding. Like uh, I, I, ha I was in a meeting yesterday and the direct report of somebody said, look, you can tell me how it is. You can tell me how it's going to be. I just want to be heard and I want to make sure you understand my position and my situation first. And it's really that simple, um, at least to get started. Yeah, that makes sense. Empathy, empathy again. Thank you for that. Yeah. So before we go, uh, Daniel, is there a question that I didn't ask you that I should have? Is there anything you want to add? I think the question you didn't ask that I would love to answer is for anyone who's listening to this, asking themselves, where do I begin? You know, if, if you want to start down a path of stronger um, intelligence in your leadership or more mindfulness in your leadership, uh, where do I begin um, is a really important question. And the answer to that 100% of the time begins with increasing your own self-awareness. So I, I know very few people who budget time each day or each week for self-reflection and how to dig into that self-reflection can look a lot of ways. It can look like sitting on a cushion and meditating guided or silent. It could look like going for a walk uh, with no technology distractions um, and being mindful of your thoughts and feelings. It could look like journaling. There's a lot of ways to go about this, but, the question, where do I begin, always starts with having the space to self-reflect and understanding yourself and what makes you tick on a deeper level. And that, in turn, will start to transfer to the benefit of other people and how you lead. Absolutely. Very interesting. I didn't expect that answer. Uh, thank you, Daniel. And one last thing is uh, for those who want to reach out to you and uh, find out more about Insight Partners, tell us how to do that. Yeah, thank you. Um, the easiest way to find my personal information and connect with me on LinkedIn would just be to go to our website, um, nsightpartners.com. It's spelled E-N-S-I-G-H-T, partners.com. And you'll find out a lot about us and be able to connect with me personally. Fantastic. Well, thank you for that wealth of information. Appreciate your time and for being on the show, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me on, Vic. All right, bye-bye. That was my interview with Daniel Stover, uh, the founder of Insight Partners with a wealth of information and knowledge. Thank you for being on the show this morning, Daniel. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.